And then if you think the ones that go clinical and are treated, their lungs in many of those calves are, are never going to be the same, right? And we know they're at a much higher risk um, to leave the herd yeah, before they, they get to first calving. So, and even if we get them past that, you know, are they ever going to be as good as their peers who, who didn't fight this when they were very young? So, yeah, I think you're right. The long-term implication um, is enormous in, in the feedlot too. We know that those guys never perform the same. And, and I think some of the late deads we see in the feedlot are the same thing. We, we saved them with an antibiotic, but their lungs just couldn't handle it. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Victus Transition from DSM Animal Nutrition and Health can help your cattle get the beta carotene they need to improve fertility. Exelite by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. R Yeast 40, ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and ultimately enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit diamondv.com because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome back to the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Barry Bradford from Michigan State University. Today, I'm happy to be interviewing a friend, uh, Dr. Jody McGill from Iowa State University. Uh, Dr. McGill is a native of Iowa and um, did her training, uh, a bachelor's degree in microbiology at Iowa State University. Uh, before completing her graduate degrees at the University of Iowa, <coughs> as hard as that is for me to say, uh, <laughs> and then completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the National Animal Disease Center. Uh, she then went on uh, to work at Kansas State University, where we were colleagues, and then has since moved to become the John Salisbury Endowed Chair in Veterinary Medicine at Iowa State University. Um, there, she's focused on immunity and dairy cattle, specifically focused on respiratory diseases. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Jody, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, I'd like to start off with, I always like to ask people um, from lots of different backgrounds, from different countries and everything, we all kind of migrated into veterinary medicine, animal science, that sort of thing. How did you end up in this space? Yeah, so... Um, I mean, I had a little bit of an ag background uh, growing up. Um, and to be honest, when I first left my undergrad, I wanted to go to vet school and I didn't get in. Wah, wah. <laughs> um, but I ended up working on my master's degree because I thought I'd get my master's in and then reapply to vet school. And I ended up loving research. And so I did a lot of work in um, mouse models of disease and uh 
that was really fun. But I, at the end of all that, I was burnt out and I was like, you know, we can cure all these diseases in mice, but who cares, right? <laughs> um, so that's when I transitioned to the USDA and I had my postdoc and I fell in love with uh, bovine respiratory disease and working with cattle. And I can actually work and hopefully uh, impact a species that, you know, I can save as opposed to a mouse who, who cares. So yeah, that's kind of how I ended up here. Okay. Awesome. So I, th- I thought maybe we could kind of put some of this in context in, in terms of, to your point, this is an important topic, right? So I usually simplistically think about there's two really dangerous times of a, of a cow's life, and that's right after it's born and then right after it gives birth. So what kind of, like in the U.S. right now, what kind of morbidity rates are we looking at for neonatal calves? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, for respiratory disease specifically, um, I mean, it's in very young cows, scouring and enteric diseases are the number one killer, right? Okay. Um, but yep. Respiratory disease is a very close second. Um, and in following weaning, I mean, that's the main, main cause of morbidity and mortality in post weaned uh, heifers. And, and, you know, what's really problematic about the disease is that we, we have a lot of vaccines and we have a lot of drugs and yet we haven't really been able to bring down the incidence of this disease, right? It seems like one in pretty much 20% um, of heifers that we deal with are going to develop BRD. Now, whether, you know, we can treat them and get them into first lactation is up in the air, right? depends on the animal. I mean, there's just a need for something different and better, right? Vaccines are great, but obviously that's not going to be the only thing that, that we can use. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like one of the big insights we've gained in the last 15 years or so is sort of the huge long-term impact. So even if that calf recovers from respiratory disease, um, we have pretty good data now that we don't expect them to ever be as productive as they would have been. And uh, I know farms that will do lung scoring ultrasound lungs, and if calves are in the bottom 10% for lung morphology, they get sent to a feedlot right away. Yep. Absolutely. It's, um, I mean, some of the ultrasound studies they've done and those calf raisers, I mean, one in five calves has subclinical pneumonia that we don't even treat for. Right. Um, and then if you think the ones that go clinical and are treated, their lungs in many of those calves are, are never going to be the same. Right. And we know they're at a much higher risk, um, to leave the herd. Yeah. Before they, they get to first calving. So, and even if we get them past that, you know, are they ever going to be as good as their peers who, who didn't fight this when they were very young. So yeah, I think you're right. The long-term implication um, is enormous in, in the feedlot too. We know that those guys never perform the same. And, and I think some of the late deads we see in the feedlot are the same thing. We, we saved them with an antibiotic, but their lungs just couldn't handle it. So it's super important. We should send you, we should all send you money for funding your work. That's, that's one takeaway today. Of course, I would be very happy to continue to study respiratory disease for <laughs> for the rest of my career. <laughs> uh, so I've got two two more questions before we dig into your research specifically. Um, why is it so enteric diseases are the biggest challenge right after birth, right? But then we see this big rise in respiratory challenges after weaning. What is it about weaning? Do we know? Like, why is that it? creating another window of risk for respiratory. Right. So, I mean, BRD, the BRD complex, we always preach is this 
multifactorial complex, right? And we know it's these stressful periods in the animal's life that really predispose them to development of BRD. So weaning is super stressful for that calf. um, And that kind of sets them up for um, susceptibility, right? Their immune system is suppressed and they can't fight off those pathogens the way they normally could. Um, I mean, that's also the time when we might be reshuffling, right? And so we're mixing up groups of calves and introducing them to all their favorite new friends who have all sorts of different um, different pathogens that they can see. And in the transition time, I mean, that's why that's another period of high risk because of, of stress that the animal experiences, right? And their immune system is just not well equipped to fight off this challenge. Um, I think it's really interesting, The and I'm certainly not an expert in this, but the relationship between gut health and lung health. So as we're thinking about weaning and helping that animal Um, really get up on feed and transition off of milk appropriately. Um, If that gut is perturbed, we know that kind of feeds into this cycle of increased risk for respiratory disease, right? So gut lung health is a really cool area of research right now. And BRDs, you're you're using that general term bovine respiratory disease and talk us through that. And then specifically, you know, how does BRSV, what does that mean and how does that play a role in this complex? Yep. So bovine respiratory disease um, is caused by a number of uh, both viral and bacterial pathogens, um, many of which are in our vaccines that we use. So um, kind of the viruses that we know predisposed to BRD would be um, bovine respiratory syncytial virus, um, bovine viral diarrhea virus, parainfluenza virus, um, bovine herpes virus. So those are kind of like the the big four that we think about. Although um, I think coronavirus uh, has been implicated and there's some like influenza D and some other pathogens that we don't hear nearly as much about that I think might also contribute. Um, But we generally think that these primary viral infections then lead to secondary bacterial pneumonias. And so that's really what kills our calf is like the Mannheimia hemolytica or the Pastorella multocida um, or the Histophilus, which when that virus sets up camp in that calf's lung or his respiratory tract, um, we know that the bacteria are kind of part of that calf's normal microflora, right? So they live in their nose all the time. But when that virus comes along, it sets that calf up for the bacteria just over overtakes their immune system, essentially. Um, and so usually they die of a bacterial pneumonia. And mycoplasma, I had forgot to mention mycoplasma, but that's another one of those big bacterial pathogens that tends to get uh, get calves for respiratory disease. In our in our pre-wean calves, we see pastorella and mycoplasma probably the most commonly um, following some of our respiratory challenges. Why? So there's this big complex, and obviously you can't study everything in there at once necessarily. Why, why do you focus on, specifically on, on the respiratory syncytial virus, BRSV? Um, so this virus in particular... Um, well, it's the best virus, of course, but no. Um, so we know it really impacts very young animals. It tends to be more common in our in our pre-weaned calves, um, which is where my interests lie because I'm interested in neonatal immunity and, and development in kind of the very young calf. Um, and so BRSV is very common. By the time they hit about six months of age, they um, most have been exposed and so have some immunity to it. And so it's much less common. Um, Although I would say BRSV of all of those um, 
has is one of the few viruses that we know if in an outbreak it can wipe out i mean 20 30% of of calves if you get a really bad BRSV outbreak whereas some of those other viruses um all alone they might not have that capacity so um makes it a little more interesting so what are the some of the fundamental questions that you're asking around BRSV and you and maybe it's worth bringing in like you you're interested in sort of RSV as well, right? So thinking about how to, how do we learn about human you know, neonates as well and dealing with these things? Right, for sure. Yeah, that's, I guess, another reason I didn't mention. So kind of in my training and my background, I was at a medical school. And so I was really interested in human health as well. Not mouse health, but human health. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we know RSV is a major problem for um, especially very young infants or preterm infants. And so there's lots of parallels between um, human RSV and our calf model of BRSV. So we've been able to learn some things about how the, the young immune system responds to RSV infection using the calf as a model for human and kind of um, both ways of a positive feedback loop, I guess you'd say, because we know a lot more about the human immune system than we do in the calf, actually. What we've been able to learn, right? Is that what the original question was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So some of the fundamental questions about BRSV that help make progress on Right. Um, so we are particularly interested in um, kind of the role of the innate immune system. So, you know, the adaptive immune system in this land of COVID, we're all kind of experts on on antibodies and vaccines and, and T cells, which are amazing, but they don't really work all that great in a very young animal. Um, and we're often combating maternal immunity. So we know that cow gives colostrum to the calf and usually the cow has antibodies to BRSV, right? So, so there's already all these antibodies in the calf that prevent her from mounting her own adaptive immune response, right? So the cow's antibodies protect her, but also prevent her from making a really strong um, adaptive immune response. So on our side, we're interested in how the innate immune system can protect that calf. So the innate immune system cares less about is this RSV or is this parainfluenza? It's more about, you know, I've, I've sensed a virus um, that's potentially going to endanger my host and, and mounting a more broad response. And so we're looking at how we can use the innate immune system to protect the calf um, until they are better equipped for mounting an adaptive immune response. Um, and we've shown that there are definitely approaches where you can kind of prime or boost that innate immune system so that it works better in those calves during those high risk periods. So that's kind of what we're, what our research is focused on. Gotcha. So when you're talking about innate immune cells and and making them better at protecting that calf, are are anatomically, are we talking about cells that are lining the, the nasal tract or that actually in the lungs or where are you focused? Kind of all, all of those things, (laughs) lots of different areas. Um, so where we've tended to focus is is definitely some of the the cells residing in the airway themselves. So like our alveolar macrophages hang out in the airways all the time, and they're um, they're really good as that first line of defense. Um, and there are some other immune cells in the lung as well that play that role. And so we have looked at giving um, like some mucosal treatments. So if you give like an intranasal treatment or kind of an aerosolized. A priming agent essentially to help that immune system kind of ramp up. And um, we have seen some 
benefit to that. Um, what's kind of interesting is, I mean, when you prime the immune system, it can be sort of a short lived thing, right? Like you can ramp it up for a few days and then it goes back to normal, which, which is a good thing because you don't always want tons of inflammation, right? So it's a timing thing. Um, but we're interested in innate memory it's called. And so that's come about from some of the human research in that certain uh, products you can give to that animal and induce kind of this longer term enhanced immune response. So we call it innate training. And so we've been studying that in the um, calf as well. And the best training agent that we found is, is BCG, which is the vaccine they use in humans for tuberculosis. Um, which nobody's going to go out and treat their calf with BCG, right? This is definitely more of like a proof of concept idea. Um, but if we give calves BCG, we can actually train both their mucosal immune system. So we see some enhancement in the lung innate response as well as in the blood. So some of the cells that circulate in the blood can be better able to flow into the lung and protect the calf um, when it's needed. So that's a really fun area of research because there's all sorts of epigenetic changes, right? So like at the chromosomal level where we're, we're changing, um, you know, how well the DNA can open up and how well that immune cell can transcribe some of these um, effector functions. So they're just much more efficient and, and respond more quickly when they've been trained. Um, I don't know anything about how to look at epigenetics, so... I've been learning a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay, so um, innate training sort of in parallel to uh, the adaptive immune arm, which, as you said, we have some issues engaging that because of that maternal interference, right? I'd like to ask some questions, and maybe we can get back then to more of your specific projects you've done, but thinking, putting my sort of dairy management hat on, just bounce some questions off you. So to start with, one of the first points you made is that we have this spike in, in respiratory disease after weaning because that's a time of stress. So maybe an initial question is, should we start with better weaning strategies? Uh, if I have an automated feeding system, for example, if I slowly wean a calf by cutting back its access over time, is there any evidence that that actually reduces respiratory disease? Definitely. Yes. So the less stressful um, you can make the weaning situation, the better off those animals are. I think there's lots of solid evidence from both the beef and the dairy side that, you know, step down weaning or, or transitioning that, um, that stress over a, a greater amount of time will definitely reduce your risk of of respiratory disease um, because, yeah, I mean, that cap is just less stressed, right? So better, better immunity. Okay, good. That's one thing. Um, secondly, I think probably the majority of farms are doing some kind of vaccination strategy for respiratory disease. Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything, but we, we sort of talked about how some reasons why that may not be perfectly successful. It doesn't mean it doesn't have some benefits, but talk me through how you think about that. If you, if you had a herd yourself, how, how would you approach that intranasal versus parenteral? Yeah. So um, vaccination, that's like a really 
hot topic, a hard topic, right? Tons of papers about it. Um, I think the evidence that I've seen, the intranasal vaccines that we are giving, um, that's definitely a good approach to take. So we know that the cow's immunity functions primarily in the serum, in the blood, right? So the antibodies that are brought in through colostrum, they go into systemic circulation, and now this guy has IgG in, in her serum, right? Um, but we know that's kind of separate from the immune system in the lungs and the respiratory tract. And so when you give an intranasal vaccine, you're priming immunity in the same place where that cap's going to potentially encounter virus, right? So you get some of the IgA and some of the mucosal antibodies that prevent infection. So I think these... I don't know that I've seen strong evidence to say, you know, super young calves, like days one and two and three, even the first week of life, um, if vaccinating at that time is the best strategy. Um, but I do think, you know, early life, the first few weeks, those intranasal vaccines seem to work pretty well based on the data that I've seen. Um, and then much like uh, we've kind of heard, if you follow up later on with the parenteral, right? So an intramuscular or a subcutaneous vaccine, um, then you're helping some of the mucosal immunity get boosted, right? Um, so you started things off intranasally, and then by giving that second booster later on, you can help the calf prime their adaptive immune system. So I do think actually that's a really good strategy. Um, I think we have to be careful about how much we put in these young calves, right? I think some of the calf management lists that I've seen of all the vaccines and all the antibiotics and all the everything is, is a lot um, that we are asking those guys to respond to. So I do worry about, about that. I think simpler is better sometimes. I, I'm, I'm pro-vaccination, but I, I think um, partly because the people talking about it are often selling these things. I think it's worth acknowledging that the adjuvants that cause a response have some at least short-term negative effects, right? So if you're layering vaccine after vaccine on an animal, you're going to cause at least a short-term uh, harm. Absolutely. Well, and I think like often we're giving the BRD vaccines. And if you add some of like the Mannheimia and the Pastorella, so the bacterial um, vaccines, which we know are kind of nasty anyway, right? And then the clostridial vaccines, like I think if those are all stacked up, um, yeah, that calf is having to work really hard. So, so thinking about spreading those out a little bit, if, if possible. And this is a question out of pure ignorance, but so if, if you do a, an intranasal vaccine, say midway before, you know, during the wet calf phase and, and dairy systems, presumably the booster would come well after they're weaned when that sort of stress is over. Is that correct? Maybe two months of age or, or three? Yeah, that's what I would suggest. I mean, just based on what we know about how maternal antibody wanes, right? If you give it too soon, you, you might as well just pour it down the drain. Um, I, I think there, that can be negotiated, right? Certainly some people have shown that you can get some some cellular immunity without necessarily like a, an antibody response, which is a good thing. Um, but I think you're best bang for your buck is waiting until some of that maternal antibody has gone away. I should also point out quickly or let you comment on if we're going to go through a tick list of preventing respiratory disease, right, is ventilation, right? Good air quality. That's kind of a no-brainer, I guess. But have you, is there any ongoing work on that or is that such old news that that's kind of we're moved past that? 
Not that I have read, but yeah, I mean, I think we definitely can all agree that that's, that's very important. Yeah. All good management practices are uh, definitely a must (laughs) for BRT. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I say that's kind of the, the standard list and you're working on sort of sort of, I'd say next generation stuff where you're thinking about innate immunity so how do you think about that? Is is just the feeding of the animal part of that or what else, at least in terms of what we can do today on a farm? Right. right. So, I mean, we have done, so I think there's lots of really neat work on prebiotics and, and certain aspects of nutrition. And um, I'm not an expert in nutrition by any means, um, but we have done some work in looking at uh, postbiotic products. Um, so specifically, we've looked at... Um, these yeast fermentation products, so a uh, breakdown of Saccharomyces cerevisiae um, products that are produced, um, they actually come from Diamond V, and that's what we've studied. Um, and we've actually seen some really, really nice data. You know, you go into some of these studies and you're like, I don't know if this is going to actually do anything, right? <laughs> um, but we've done three studies now um, where we've used this postbiotic product um, in calves from enrollment up until um, five weeks of age. And that's when we did our, our experimental infection challenges. Um, so we gave BRSV uh, in one study or BRSV with a, a bacterial pathogen. So pastorella as kind of a follow-up. And so in those studies, we actually saw kind of these positive effects on the innate immune system. So calves that were getting this SDFP product, we call it, um, actually kind of had this primed or enhanced innate response even before we hit them with the virus. So even before they encountered a respiratory pathogen. So we did some immunology assays and we saw that their cells, you know, made more pro-inflammatory cytokines and they were kind of positioned to respond more quickly. Um, And then when we ended up challenging those calves, we saw definite benefits um, in the lung pathology for those calves and some in the clinical disease itself. So calves on the CFP product had much less gross lung pathology. They had less viral load. um, So they were able to eliminate the virus more efficiently, um, which is kind of consistent with what we saw with the innate immune function. Um, And we just recently finished up some work where we did uh, transcriptomics on some of the lung tissue from calves that were receiving the SCFP. So we're asking, we're seeing these benefits in our assays, but you know, what globally is going on in animals receiving this? And we actually, um, saw some of like the lung repair pathways were changed in animals on the SCFP product versus not. So it's almost like they're being a little bit more efficient in repairing their lung tissue. So even if they do get sick, they are better able to resolve that challenge. Um, so yeah, that was pretty interesting work. And uh, we'll see. I mean, it seems to have been, some of our observations have been shown in other, you know, similar models. So, you know, adult dairy cattle and mastitis inflammation is a, is a problem, right? Um, and it seems like there's some tissue repair mechanisms that are working better with this similar product. So that's kind of cool when you're raised research looks the same as everybody else's. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a, from a 20,000 foot view, it's kind of interesting that it, I mean, this is oversimplifying, but you, 
take a fungal product, you know, which you would think might stimulate or potentiate fungal responses, and then you're giving a viral pathogen later and they respond to that better. So that, that sort of cross pathogen impact is super interesting. Do you know anything? Have you dug into it all? Like in terms of a molecular, like what is it in this product that's actually doing what in a immune cell that makes it more potent? Yeah, no, not necessarily. I mean, so it's of course propriety, pro- proprietary what's in there. I mean, it's like vitamin B and some other things. So, I mean, I've talked to uh, some of the company reps about this. Their theory is that, um, so they grow the yeast for much longer than it should be grown, I guess. So it kind of gets stressed out and then they heat kill it. Um, But their theory is perhaps the, the yeast itself secretes some, I don't know, alarmins or danger signals that might kind of act on the innate immune system. Um, I don't know. We don't have evidence of that. That's just speculation. I think it might be doing something to, to gut health, right? So we know there's this really important relationship between the microbiome and, um, you know, the calf's gut health, which ultimately translates to a healthier lung. So that's kind of my theory, but I don't know anything about gut microbiomes and calves. That's not my area. I, I stay north of the diaphragm, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You got to leave some space for the rest of us. That's good. <laughs> well, you know, no, thanks. I'll pass. I'll stick with the lungs. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it's been a really interesting set of studies you've done there, but I know you've had interest in other parts of the diet. You say you're not into nutrition, but I, don't, I beg to differ a little, you know, so uh, maybe take it from a point of view of if you're raising dairy calves and the typical diets those calves are getting. Actually, let me back up one step. I, sh- I meant to ask you with the yeast product, with the Diamond V product, is that the way you did the studies? Was it delivered in the milk replacer? Was it in the uh, grain? Or um, So, yeah, one. Uh, so there was two products. So one is like a soluble form that goes in the milk replacer. Um, and then one is a insoluble form that gets top dressed. And so we we used both of those. But of course, I mean, the calves were enrolled at one to two days of age. so they weren't really eating very much grain until like the very end of the study. So I do think a lot of the effect was due to what they got in the milk replacer. Okay. That's fair. Okay, good. So that's, that's a component that can be added to milk replacer. Is it, is there nutritional aspects of the way we feed calves that you think make them more susceptible or are there deficiencies you're trying to address in your research? I guess I should ask. Um, so we, I mean, we have done some pretty cool work with, a vitamin A deficiency. Um, a few years ago, we we were looking at, and this was actually, we approached it more from the human side, but we've since kind of learned more about calf vitamin A deficiency, but vitamin A deficiency is a major risk factor in human infants for more severe RSV and increased hospitalization. And so um, although there's some work in vitamin A in calves, it was it's what, like 40 years old now at some at this point. So um, we generated vitamin A deficient calves. And, and keep in mind, these were like really bottomed out. So we experimentally, we created them. So they were really low. Um, but when we challenged them with BRSV, the, of course, they had more severe disease and worse lung pathology. But kind of what was interesting was how their lungs were just... Um, 
gene expression wise, they weren't making any of the tissue repair uh, genes that they needed to be right. So um, the lung has to kind of break down and then be repaired as they try to get back to normal after they've cleared the infection. Right. And so things like matrix proteases and um, some of the tight junctions that hold that epithelial cells together. I mean, the expression of those was all messed up in the vitamin A deficient calves, which is um, really important for barrier function, right? Which from the human literature, we know that. And now in the calf, we've shown that, you know, if you can keep those vitamin A levels up, that's really important for lung health, I think. Do you, and this isn't to attack that research at all, but you said specifically you were trying to make a really severe deficiency. Do you think that's way beyond what even the most problematic farms for vitamin A would have? I, w- I mean, yes, definitely. Like, hopefully they're never that low. So it's certainly a, a contrived system in an experimental uh, setup. But I do think vitamin A deficiency, probably more so on the beef side, right, where you have cows out on pasture, um, which we know has been a problem in these kind of drought years. Um, I think that is definitely more to be concerned about. I think in the dairy calf, we do a pretty good job, right, of giving them the vitamin A they need. But um, yeah, so, and lately I've been doing some work with zinc with Dr. Hansen at Iowa State. Um, nothing in pre-weaned cows, but also kind of looking at zinc in feedlot cattle and how it helps with lung tissue repair because there's some interactions there. So feed your cattle you don't think there's, you don't necessarily see an application there for milk replacer fed calves. I mean, maybe I'm just not an expert in zinc. Sure. Milk, yeah, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> don't put me on the spot here. I'm an immunologist. <laughs> <laughs> We've given people a lot of, a lot of pieces of their calf management program to think about for respiratory disease. I think that's awesome. Uh, are, there, are there any pieces we missed that come uh, to your mind right now? I don't think so. No, I think we kind of talked about some of our cool stuff. So. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. AB Vista, feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. Adiseo USA, Producers of Smartamine M and MilkPay.com. With early detection in health, reproduction, and feeding, SmaxTech future-proofs your dairy operation. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. Maximize profitability and herd health with early detection in animal health, reproduction, calving, and feeding. The most advanced bolus technology and professional support from agricultural experts makes this possible. SmaxTech the health system that future-proofs your operation. Data shows most cattle don't get enough beta-carotene. DSM's Victus Transition can help support your cattle's fertility and colostrum quality through beta-carotene supplementation. Learn more at dsm.com forward slash Victus Transition. All right. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, before we let you go, of course, we have to hit you with the three questions we ask everybody. We're not letting you off the hook. So first of all, we want to know, what's your favorite dairy-related book or resource? Yes. So you you emailed me these questions and I was like, oh, 
dairy resource. I just asked my friends that are that do <laughs> dairy work. What should I feed my calf? Right. <laughs> call a friend. Yeah, that's that's a resource. <laughs> okay. So one is call a friend. My other one is uh, Tizard's immunology because it's all about bovine and uh, swine immunology. So I refer to that often. <laughs> Good one. Okay. What about your favorite book or resource outside of ag? So my favorite um, kind of work associated book would be wellness at work, which is about kind of strengths and promoting um, graduate student wellness in, in research labs. So uh, I read that with a, I do a group that does graduate student mentoring. And so that was kind of our book club book and it's been awesome and really changed the way I approach my mentoring. So <laughs> and then, yeah, it sounds like, you know, this is a good, that's a good segue into this question. Last one, which, what sets successful dairy professionals or professionals in general, apart from those who are not so successful? Um, I had to think about this one too. I would say being a lifelong learner and being um, willing to change and adapt. Uh, as new information comes out, um, whatever that technology might be, you know, I had a discussion about AI earlier today and adapting AI to to our everyday lives, right? And just being willing to keep up with the times, I guess. Yeah, good. All right. Well, Dr. Jody McGill, thanks again for joining us. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Barry. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for having me. This has been another episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. If you haven't subscribed yet, Please subscribe today so you don't miss the next great episode. Till then, we'll see you later.